Perhaps you've heard about the comment that Domenico Dolce of the Dolce & Gabbana label made in an interview with the Italian magazine Panorama about children conceived through in vitro fertilization. He said, You are born and you have a father and a mother, or at least it should be so. You cannot convince me of what I call children of chemistry and synthetic children, wombs for rent, seeds selected from a catalog. Of course, there was an uproar, which has led to Dolce & Gabbana to issue an official statement in which they say that the comments express personal views. They said, We believe firmly in democracy and we think freedom of expression is essential for that. We talked about our way of looking at the world, but it was not our intention to express a judgment on other people's choices. And here is where I would like to comment, because herein lies the root of most of the value differences between the Catholic Church and the rest of the world. It is called relativism. The Catholic Church believes that truth is objective. We believe this because it's true. Truth is objective. Truth is not dependent on my experience of it. The world, on the other hand, teaches that truth is subjective, that is, relative to my personal experience. So if my personal experience of love, marriage, life, death, adoption, suffering, you name it, tells me whatever my personal experience tells me, that will determine my value on any of those issues. However, that's not the way it is. Jesus Christ is truth. And he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, no matter what anyone's personal, subjective experience is. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. Today's show is co-sponsored by the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University. You can learn more at luc.edu slash IPS. We begin our program by announcing uh, our winner of Michael James Meddy's new album, Arts and Humanity, that we featured two weeks ago. And our winner is George D'Souza. George, you've won a copy of Michael James Meddy's new album, Arts and Humanity, that we featured on this program two weeks ago. Congratulations. Please contact us as soon as you can so we can get you your prize. And for the rest of you, remember that if you want to enter our weekly draw, just go to saltandlighttv.org radio and enter your name and email address for a chance to win. You can also send me comments via Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro and I'll enter you into our weekly draw. Today, in about 15 minutes after our news and Saint of the Week, Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary, returns to tell us all about the world of gaming. That should be good. And in our second half hour, we're featuring a portion of a conversation that I had with a young Jewish couple, Melanie and Aaron Cohn. This is part of our series on marriage and family. That's in about half an hour. And after that, Canadian singer-songwriter Chris Bray returns to tell us about his new live album, The Praises of His People. So let's begin with one of his songs. This is good for Pentecost. Here's Holy Spirit Come from Chris Bray's new album, The Praises of His People. Pour out your gifts and we will go 
Chris Bray with Holy Spirit Come from his new album, The Praises of His People. And we're going to be speaking with Chris Bray in our second half hour. But now, here's Stefan with our news. Welcome. Thank you. So, uh, uh, we're ending off the year of Consecrated Life this year, and but the next year has been announced. So, it, what are we celebrating next indeed. year? Uh, at a penitential service uh, last week at St. Peter's, uh, Pope Francis surprised everyone uh, with the announcement that we are going to have the Year of Mercy beginning at the end of 2015 and uh-huh. going straight through to Christ the King uh, in 2016. Excellent. So uh, that will that will begin on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. That will mm-hmm. sort of be the start date. So December this year, 2015. Exactly. For almost a year. Precisely. Which kind of makes sense because it's next year's World Youth Day. The actual theme is, is on mercy and... And we know that there's a whole connection with Divine Mercy in Poland and, and World Youth is in Krakow. So that makes sense. Ties in nicely. Didn't surprise me. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there were also some announcements about uh, some new potential, I guess they're not potentials, uh, saints. Yes. Well, I, the Pope has not actually come out and made the official announcement, but he did okay. sign the paperwork today. Okay. Uh, he is going to canonize Blessed Louis Martin and Marie Azélie Guérin, the parents of, of Saint Thérèse of Lisieux, absolutely, and it'll be the first couple to ever be canonized together. And they're going to be—I don't know if this is official—but are they going to be canonized during the synod on the family because it's a family? The affair? official announcement has not been made, okay, but so it hasn't. Absolutely, That's all what signs are saying. pointing to it. So it's just a matter of them getting up and actually putting out the official document that says, "Here is the date." Okay, excellent. So the parents of Saint Thérèse, the Martin—I guess they're not both called Martin. Louis Martin and uh, Maria Zelie Guerin are going to be canonized. Very cool. Very cool. Um, 
Middle East. Can we can we do a day without talking about Middle East and Christians being persecuted? I guess Pakistan is not the we Middle East. We can go a little east of the Middle East. <laughs> a little east of the Middle East, yes. yes. Towards South Asia. Uh, in Pakistan Sunday, we had a double suicide bombing in a Christian neighborhood. One incident took place outside of an Anglican church, the other outside a Catholic church, killing yeah. 14 and injuring dozens of others. A splinter group of the Taliban has claimed responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And the Christian communities in Pakistan, they only make up about... Uh, Less than two percent of the population, but there's still two and a half million of them in the country. Right. So it's not. So it's a sizable group of people. Yes. Uh, but they really they feel like they've been marginalized mm-hmm. to the absolute uh, edges of Pakistani society that the government doesn't protect them and that they're really living uh, in an unsafe situation. So they actually protested quite heavily. Uh, and I, it, right. And some would say justifiably so, given yeah. the treatment and given the fact that the Taliban has said they're going to continue attacking Christians. Absolutely. Now in this program, we've been following the plight of Christians, specifically in Pakistan. Pakistan, uh, especially with regards to the blasphemy law um, that affects not just Christians, because there's some Muslims that who are affected by the by the blasphemy law. But uh, did the Holy Father not make a statement? He did. He spoke out he- very strongly against it, and he also indicated uh, in very in some of his strongest words to date that there was a cover up uh, going on around the world uh, to try and cover up the persecution of Christians mm-hmm. and the re- just the broad overarching reality that that is in the world today. Absolutely. And we need to uh, keep persecuted Christians in our prayers. Um, it's easy for us in North America to uh, to kind of take it for granted, although we, we, we look at our plight as persecution and I, the next story is going to be a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people who are, who are actually being killed because they are Christian. Uh, so we need to keep our Christians brothers and sisters, in our prayers. Um, Wyoming, a different kind of persecution, maybe. Perhaps, yeah, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, Wyoming Catholic College, uh, they recently, their board of governors, voted uh, to reject uh, a federal student loan program that would have allowed their students to, obta- st- pardon me, to obtain loans right. from the United States federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did so on the basis that they said that it, they would have to compromise on a lot of Catholic values, specifically pertaining to the church's teaching on sexuality, right. in terms of how students would live, interact, the kind of mm-hmm. facilities, programs, services that would have been have to made available for students. Uh, and the school uh, highlighted specifically the health and human services uh, mandate uh, as a situation where they're already dealing with with trouble with the federal government, uh, right. Wyoming Catholic College is one of the Catholic institutions actually currently suing uh-huh. uh, the government. So they're in a position where they're already uncomfortable with the overarching reach. Yeah, I, I have a sense that there are quite a few Catholic organizations that are <laughs> having issues with government funding yeah. um, all over the United States. In fact, I'm curious to hear from our listeners in the United States uh, what experiences they have or what thoughts they have, especially if you're in Wyoming and you want to comment on this particular situation. But all over the states, I know that different groups have had different issues. The president of the college made an excellent point. He said that our rights come from our creator. They are not, uh, that they've existed long before any government ever did. Mm-hmm. And that, they, that, that that is the nature of them, where they come from. Absolutely. And he's right. Very good. Thank you very much. So, yeah, so we want to hear your comments. You can uh, comment through our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. You can also reach me with comments through Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. Thank you, Stefan, with our weekly news. You can watch Stefan Slovak Monday through Thursday on our daily update. Perspectives on Salt and Light TV, um, also on demand online at saltandlighttv.org, and also now every day on Roku. 
Hi, this is Matt Marr. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Deacon Pedro. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, so here we are continuing on this on this wonderful Lenten journey. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's coming Easter's sooner than coming you think. Up. Yes. We've got about a week and a bit. I and, know. And uh, there we are into the, uh, the celebration of the Triduum. Um, you know, in, in March, March seems to be very well-renowned for celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Yes. But I think, you know, all the hoopla, all the jazz, all the fun parties at the bars, uh-huh. um, you know, tend to kind of soak up also the other saints um, throughout the month. Mm-hmm. And I can think of one person in particular who really, um, you know, was at the heart of, of Jesus' ministry. And, and that-, that was his father. That Saint was Saint Joseph. Joseph. So uh, here we go talking about uh, Saint Joseph. Um, he was also referred to as Joseph the Betrothed, uh-huh, and the betrothed. Joseph of Nazareth. Yep. But he was the foster father of Jesus, according to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And really, we know that not much is known of Joseph except that he was of the house of David and lived in the town of Nazareth. After an angel had appeared to Mary, we know that story, that she would be the mother of God, Saint Joseph wondered what to do. And an angel appeared to him in a dream, we know, and told him not to worry, that the child was the Messiah, was the chosen one, and he was to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Joseph was to be her husband and protect the child as he had, uh, as he had grew up. Mm-hmm. Joseph decided to trust the angel and God, which, was, uh, which must have been very hard for him back then, because, you know, how is he to comprehend this? How is he to explain this? Really, he had mm-hmm. to just give um, trust um, over to God, and he did that. And he went on to marry Mary, yes. the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he took her into his home. Mm-hmm. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we know that the angel appeared to Joseph again, warning him that the child was in danger. So, um, you know, they became, in essence, the first refugee family. Yes. Here we are talking about people who are running for their life in the Middle East mm-hmm. um, from militants, and, you know, let's look at the life of the Holy Family. They ran to Egypt. Joseph followed the advice of the angel later on and took Mary um, uh, to Bethlehem for the census. They could not find a place to spend the night except for a stable, and this is the place where we know Jesus was born. Um, So as I said, they had fled to Egypt. Joseph took Mary and the child to Egypt, and they only came back when Herod was dead. And at that, and it was then uh, when Jesus was 12 years old that, (laughs) like any normal family, they lost Jesus. But, you know, usually, sometimes, you know, we may wonder where our kids are, but they lost Jesus for three days. And we know the story. They found him in the temple. Jesus said to Mary and Joseph, don't you know that I must be in my father's house? Mm-hmm. So um, his story goes on. We know that as he was the head of the humble home in Nazareth and the, uh, the paternal guardian of the Holy Family, uh, St. Joseph is the protector of the Church on Earth. So not only was he the prote- protector of the Holy Family, but he is the protector of the Church here on Earth. He was also patron of a holier, happy death, because mm-hmm. he died with Jesus and Mary close to him, the way we would all like to, hopefully, leave this earth. St. Joseph is also invoked for finding a good husband. So, St. Joseph has two special feast days, one for his royalty on March the 19th, which was two days ago on the Thursday, and one for his humility as a workman on May the 1st. His genealogy is the first one given in the New Testament. Uh, it was told of the Israelites in the Old Testament, go to Joseph if they wanted any favor or benefit. 
go to Joseph really is the advice um, given to every Catholic who um, may want a favor or who wants to believe in the sanctity of the Holy Family and in its kind of simple structure and its simple makeup. So um, let's look to St. Joseph. As, as important as, you know, our, our, our other saints are this month, you know, St. Patrick, uh, St. Perpetua, St. Felicity, let's look to St. Joseph, who is the husband of Our Lady, who is the patron of workers, who is the patron, really, of the Universal Church. Mm-hmm. And he had a huge part to play in, uh, in God's epic story in Scripture. So uh, St. Joseph, Thursday, March the 19th, just a few days ago, uh, we look to him for more inspiration on our Lenten journey. Amen. He's my favorite saint. Also, his feast day on May 1st. And you know what? And I he, take my middle name after St. Uh, Joseph. Are you Andrew Joseph? Absolutely. There you go. And he's also the patron saint of Canada. So yes, of there course. You go. Yep. Thank you, Andrew. St. Joseph. Andrew Joseph. <laughs> if you want to call me that from now on, by all means. Thank you, Andrew Joseph. Andrew Santos is our saint expert, and also he's a youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario. Hi, this is Megs, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour, available online and on your favorite Catholic radio stations across the United States, and also now on Roku. You can find out how to get Salt and Light on Real Roku at saltandlighttv.org slash Roku. And now it's time for What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Is this a Happy New Year? Have I not spoken to you since Christmas? I think it truly is a new year. Well, Happy New Year. No, wait. No, no, no. I think we had a segment in (laughs) February. I have no memory. Okay, so. (laughs) I have a bad memory, too. Happy Lent. Thank you. No, no, no. A penitential suffering Lent to you. But a baptismal Lent to you. Ah, uh, there we go. There we go. There we go. So um, we 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 spent a lot of time in this segment talking about well, because you are in Hollywood and in the industry, film. Yep. But what about other forms of of media, uh, particularly gaming? That I'm thinking. I don't know how much of that it happens in Hollywood, but I know a lot of it happening in California. So so so, uh, what are your thoughts on new forms of media like gaming? So my of course my day job is visual effects or computer graphics. And that field naturally, you know, touches on computer gra- or c- video games a lot. So this yes. is something that I hear a lot about and I think a lot about going to a lot of the conferences and stuff like that that I do. Yeah. And uh, I think gaming is actually going to be a lot bigger than films in the future. Really? Um, it already is more money. I think it's like about a 40 or $45 billion industry. Wow. And Hollywood is kind of like 35 or $40 billion. Wow. And... All I hear from the youth is how much they love video games and mm. how they want to make video games and yada, 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 yada. Yeah. And so something we talk about here all the time is like, well, how do you put God into film? You mm-hmm. know, and so a natural question is, well, how do you put God into games? Yeah. And, and I actually don't have any good answers. <laughs> okay. And so I don't segment. know why I'm on the air, but I have a lot of good questions. <laughs> okay, good. Today. Let's ask good questions then. So the first thing I would say that a lot of, a lot of games have a strong story content uh-huh. to them very narrative. So I'm going to say, I, I think most of the same rules that you'd see in film would apply to, to the, the narrative content in a game. But I would ask, though, that because video games are much more interactive, uh, you need to actually act within them as opposed to just passively observing film. Right. You have a stronger component of the will. And I wonder if that doesn't alter the moral content that you observe or you partake in in these video games. Like, right. i.e., if you had the choice to murder a character in a story, 
and it's very real and personal, um, does, is that changing the rules for what's moral to do in a video game? And I, I kind of think it does. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, and not just, I mean, murder is one thing, but I know you have, you know, other sexual content, rape oh, even yeah. in some games. Yeah, it's, yeah, those those kind of things are starting to appear, you know, Grand Theft Auto, all oh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's yes. like, yeah, that kind of changed everything. Um, <clears throat> the bigger things, I think, that I think are even, I think are kind of an under appreciated moral, perhaps peril, I don't know if that's the word, is what I would call the false sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. and the false social connection that you get from these games sometimes. Okay. Um, so, you know, you could spend hours and hours learning Guitar Hero, uh-huh. um, but what have you really learned? Do you actually know how to play guitar in real life? No. No, you don't. And, you know, the Saints talk about this all the time, about, you know, how our time is limited, and, uh, you know, we should, you know, use every moment for good, mm-hmm. and... and St. Francis, I believe, was uh, against card games, even. Really? Yeah. And so, you know, I sound like a kind of like an anti-technological Luddite here, but I really kind of question, you know, sometimes how, you know, how valuable are these things? And I mean, we're even seeing things as extreme as like, there's virtual currencies that you can earn Mm. in these games, Mm -hmm. and now they have exchanges where you can buy them for real money. Yeah. And so, so that just to me, I, 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 I would ask our listeners to really question that, really pray and say, am I spending my time in the best way possible? Yes. And then the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of these really fascinating network games called massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Yeah, Think yeah, of yeah. World of Warcraft. Yes. Um, you take on a different persona, but you're sort of interacting with real people. Mm-hmm. And so you ha- you sort of connect with people, but you don't get all the real benefits of a real friend and real life and everything. Yes. And so I think sometimes that can leave people feeling more empty than if they actually had say, spent their time interacting with real people. Mm-hmm. So again, I sound like a real anti-technological gaming Luddite here, yeah. I think these are really uh, underappreciated issues with gaming, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think I, I don't. I'm not saying I have the answers. I don't know how to have good guidelines, but I think these are something that our viewers or listeners should question. Absolutely, and and the ultimately the question for us would be how to put God in gaming, which I think is very good. So you're not saying no to gaming, but you're questioning it. And and I'd say that the bottom line with any of this these things is. Is, is this activity, whether it's gaming or watching movies or whatever we're doing, is it getting me closer to God? Is it helping me make the world a better place? Is it making me a better person, a better holy person? And maybe that's exactly. the question. Yes. And, and I hope that I think Christians were behind the curve on film. I hope we can get ahead of the curve in gaming. Well, there you go. You can lead the way, Mark Matthews. Hopefully. Hopefully this is the beginning. Okay, very good. So I'm going to invite our listeners to, to write to us and tell us what they think. Are you a gamer? What do you think about gaming? Are you a parent concerned about your children or the morality behind the games? Uh, reach us, uh, reach me through Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. Mark, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Pedro. Thank you for ha- always as having me. There you go. What's good in, uh, in the world of gaming, not just in yeah. Hollywood, with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. Hi, I'm Michael James Meddy, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Jesus, 
Jesus was aware of the illness of his friend Lazarus, and yet he did not go to work at healing. In fact, he delayed for several days after Lazarus' death, meanwhile giving his disciples lessons along the way about the light. Lessons incomprehensible in the face of grave illness and death, but surely understandable in the light shed by Lazarus' and Christ's resurrection. How often have we, like Martha and Mary, blurted out those same words of pain and despair, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother, sister, mother, father, friend would not have died. What kind of a terrible God would allow tragedies to take place in our world? And yet today's pathos-filled story from John's Gospel tells us what kind of God we have, a God who groaned in spirit and was troubled, a God who wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and a God who was deeply moved at the commotion and grief of so many friends of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. The shortest line in the whole Bible is found in this gospel story, Jesus wept. Jesus reveals to us God who is one with us in suffering, grief, and death, a God who weeps with us. God doesn't intervene to prevent the tragedies and sufferings of life because God loves us too much. If God did, then God wouldn't be God and we wouldn't be free human beings. If we had a God who simply swooped down to prevent human tragedy and sinfulness, then religion and faith would simply be reduced to some kind of magic or fate and we would be helpless pawns on the chessboard of some whimsical God. Where is God in the midst of human tragedies? God is there in the midst of it, weeping. That's the kind of God we have. Immediately before his own death and resurrection, Jesus proclaims the words that would form the very heart of today's gospel story. I am the resurrection and the life. The fourth century Bishop Gregory of Nazianzus, 328 to 389, spoke about the miracle in Bethany that prefigured Jesus' own death and resurrection. St. Gregory wrote of Jesus, he prays, but he hears prayer. He weeps, but he puts an end to tears. He asks where Lazarus was laid, for he was a human being, and he raises Lazarus, for he is God. As a sheep he is led to the slaughter, but he is the shepherd of Israel, and now of the whole world. He is bruised and wounded, but he heals every disease and every infirmity. He is lifted up and nailed to the tree, but by the tree of life, he restores us. He lays down his life, but he has the power to take it again. And the veil is rent, for the mysterious doors of heaven are opened. The rocks are cleft, the dead rise. He dies, but he gives life, and his death destroys death. He is buried, but he rises again. Only the one who has entered death's realm and engaged death itself in battle can give life to those who have died. John recounts the raising of Lazarus as a sign that transforms the tragedy into hope. Lazarus's illness and death are the occasion for the manifestation of God's glory. As Christians, we do not expect to escape death, but we approach it with faith in the resurrection. Father Thomas Rosica is the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. Coming up in our second half hour, perspectives on marriage and family with Melanie and Aaron Cohn, a young Jewish couple. And Chris Bray has a new live album, The Praise of His People, so don't go anywhere.
change yourself and the world around you with a graduate degree from Loyola's Institute of Pastoral Studies. Loyola's degree programs will give you the skills you need to serve others in the information age. Our brand new digital communication concentration combines Loyola's Jesuit values with the skills to use social media and other digital platforms for outreach and evangelization. To learn more about Loyola's graduate programs and other courses we offer, head to luc.edu slash IPS. Hello and welcome to uh, the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Right now, we are between synods on the family. We had the Extraordinary Synod, or Preparatory Synod, of bishops on the family last October, and the Ordinary Synod will take place this year, 2015, also in October. Also, this year in September is the World Meeting of Families. So, in a way, this is very much a year to celebrate marriage and family. And so, throughout the year, we're going to be featuring interviews and conversations with various married couples of all kinds of backgrounds who share their perspectives on marriage and family. And today, I share an excerpt of a conversation I had with Melanie and Aaron Cohn, a young Jewish couple. They've been married for 12 years, and they have two kids. If you were Catholic and you wanted to be married in the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church in most dioceses around the world will make you do a marriage course preparation. How is the equivalent? Is there an equivalent? Right. So uh, one of the first steps in Jewish marriage is the, the, the um, you were seeing the engagement process, right? Uh-huh. So we went through that and um, through our rabbi at the synagogue we, we had conversations and a few mm-hmm. lessons and um, we discussed some text uh, from, from the Torah and, oh, yeah. and, and yeah. etc. So but that was something that we actually we were elected to do. To do. Yeah. It's not yeah. a requirement the way it is, um, you know, in, in other right. in yeah. other mm-hmm. faiths. So yeah. in other traditions. So, but for us, I think one one thing that was also really important was we wanted to have a special relationship with the rabbi who was going to marry us because uh-huh. we wanted the ceremony to be a personal one mm-hmm. and to be one that he had sort of seen us go through this process together yeah. and was able to personalize. Um, the the ceremony so that was a big part of why mm-hmm. we and and we sort of sure. was something that we wanted together but uh, most of our friends I don't think have done that no no wait so when you were studying uh, or or reflecting on the the particular text of the Torah I mean presumably text on marriage mm-hmm. not so much to prepare for the ceremony but actually to help you in your for the future life, for, for future, the future. Mm-hmm. so how was that so so the f- can I call it formation preparation was not so much you know, let's learn about bank accounts and parenting and sexuality. No. no. It, was, it was more of a, a faith. Yeah. It was really around the, the you know, the, the scriptures. And what the scriptures say. Yeah. And do you remember anything that you learned that really uh, grabbed you or that, that, or that you still hold on to today? Well, I have two things, I guess, that I hang on to. One is the view that um, woman was created out of the side of a man. Uh-huh. And really that's because it's not from a, another part, it's really to be kind of a partner and a best friend. And that's really, I think, the partner in life and what I think is so critical. And the second thing um, that I think um, that really stood out for me, and it's something that actually um, through the tradition um, that we often read on Friday night and stuff, The Woman of Valor, and uh-huh. it's something that a husband uh-huh. reads to a wife and it talks about um, you know, what that woman is all about, the values that they imbue, um, the kind of person they are, the kind of mother they are, the wife that they are, um, the person who um, who gives to the community. And, um, and that is something that is really, st- has always stuck with me. Let me stop you for a second. This is something that you do every Friday night the, yeah. the, for Shabbat. Mm-hmm. It's something that 
the husband? Yeah, traditionally the husband will sing it to the, his, oh, his, his... What a wonderful tradition to have your husband every Friday night telling you how amazing you are. <laughs> now, Aaron, does Melanie do the or equivalent? Or <laughs> <laughs> On a daily basis. <laughs> That's great. So you have two children now, um, a three-year-old and, and a newborn, three-month-old. Congratulations. Um, again, presumably, you always thought that you'd not just be married, but would have children as parents. Um, did you also have some sort of preparation for that? How did you, as a married couple, other than let's just have kids and kind of fly by the seat of our pants? Or well, I think I don't think we actually <laughs> flew by the seat of our pants because, in as much as we were engaged quite quickly, we were married actually for seven years before, before we had, had children. First, yeah. um, we knew we wanted to have and children. We, we knew we, we wanted, wanted to be, be but we also had things we needed to do. I pursued some additional schooling. We got our, you know, so I think, and it was actually something that um, a lot of our friends have had children sooner. Yeah, and yeah. I think for us, we really wanted to feel ready and kind of be in a different headspace. So mm -hmm. for us, it, it actually was the most amazing blessing at the perfect time. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think we were quite ready. Um, it wasn't something that we got married in right away, didn't think about it. It was something that right. we really thought through. And, you know, we did quite a bit um, before then. Were you thinking that when you were married, it wouldn't have been the right time to have children, that you wouldn't have been ready, or that there were other things that you wanted to do as a married couple before you had children? Right. I mean, I think, I mean, in terms of the additional schooling piece of it, I mean, that right. we wanted to get through that. But in mm -hmm. terms of, uh, you know, still getting to know each other and living your life and establishing a household mm -hmm. and that type of a for household sure. you want to establish, I think, for, for us from that perspective, we wanted to wait a little bit of time and, and, and really uh, mm -hmm. be, be close together before and we really started. And really cultivate our marriage. Exactly. For sure. Were there any ideas that you had about marriage and family or parenting 12 years ago that you don't have now that has changed now that you are living it? I, I think or that have been reinforced? Well, I mean, to be honest, I think once you're living it, it changes everything, right? I mean, you can say you want to be this type of parent or that type of parent, but yeah. it's also the type of child you're going to have, too, yes. that directs that. So um, from a specific, probably not, but yeah. in terms of it's basically we do it on every day. Every day is a different day, and there's different challenges you face every day. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the best way we've done that. So. Yeah. How about you, Melanie? I think... Um, really trying to make the most of every minute that I have because I think they grow so quickly and they change so quickly and I think um, all the wonderful things that we experience and all the blessings are also mm -hmm. difficult at the same mm -hmm. time and it's you know it's the you know getting up at night and and yeah. you know but but I have to say like I try to make the most of those times as well because I know that I can only hold them for so long and lift them for so long and sing to them for so long and rock them for so long. Yeah. So it's really about um, taking some of those things that are often seen as challenges and mm -hmm. um, really make, because you know, from make one day to the that. next, it yeah. changes and then you never get it back again. Yeah. Okay, so that's a lot of really good advice, but I'm gonna ask you the advice question one more time, sure. maybe just to end up. So if you had to, to, to give advice to a young couple that is considering marriage. I don't know, maybe in the synagogue they mentor young couples. I'm not sure if they do that. And they've chosen you. What advice would you give them? I think patience. You know, patience, communication, learning about each other for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I, I, th I think once you have that, it's, it, it forms a maybe more of a solid foundation and then you kind of learn more about each other, right? Mm -hmm. So, but you need to have that patience for sure. Patience. Yeah. 
I would agree. I would see it really as an investment in cultivating your relationship because you're only as strong um, together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, um, and that that's really what you give your children and you need to be on the same page. And those nights when you are exhausted, when you want to take it on each other, you need to know kind of where you are. And I think it can be very overwhelming if you do all that mm -hmm. too quickly and you can easily fall apart because if you don't have your best friend with you, you know, going through it with you um, and supporting you, especially when the difficulties start to happen, because they right. do, um, you're kind of toast. Yeah, you see that one dot to make sure everything is okay, and that's all it takes sometimes, yeah. right? So. Yeah, but it takes time to be able to get there. Exactly. So you would say, if I can take anything, I'm trying to sort of take the one thing you'd say that, that I mean, the marriage is, is really the foundation. Yeah. And, and not to say, well, can we say that it's more important that that's, it, foundationally, I mean, mm. and then well, if you, if don't you have, have a healthy that, marriage, you're going to have Then you're healthy... not going to really be able to have the kind of footing you need to um, to raise children yeah. because it's it's a lot of hard work. It is, Good. and it's wonderful work. It's the <laughs> best. It's the <laughs> best work absolutely. in the entire world. The most world. important work, absolutely. And it is, and that's absolutely. why, and and you got to be prepared for it. Absolutely. And I think that you know you can idealize it just like you idealize marriage, mm -hmm. and it's it's a lot it's of work, real world, and right? it's time. Yeah. And, uh, and it's and, really important. Yes, and wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much for sharing with us. Our this pleasure. has been excellent. That was an excerpt of a conversation that I had with Melanie and Aaron Cohn, a young Jewish couple. You can watch the full interview at saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives and also on Roku. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Chris Bray with Pursue Me from his new live album, The Praises of His People.
That was Chris Bray with Pursue Me from his new live album, The Praises of His People. And singing there with Chris is, you can hear the beautiful voice of Kate Adams. Now, Chris Bray is a young Canadian singer-songwriter who's been featured on our program many, many times. He's a Gospel Music Association Covenant Award winner, and his songs called and finally let go are frequently played on Canadian Christian radio stations. Chris is also a full-time traveling worship leader and speaker. Um, And recently he recorded a live concert in order to create an experience that would lead the listeners to to worship. It's his second worship album, but this one's live. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Chris Bray. Chris, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's so good to, so good to, uh, to, so, well, and not, not that you aren't always doing something, but so good to know that you're doing something. Um, before we, we talk about the album, we just heard a conversation with a young Jewish couple, uh, part of our marriage and family series. And you've been married for eight years. You have four kids. So mm. I, 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 if, if you were to give, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you were to give uh, one, piece, one piece of advice to a young couple that's considering married life, what would you tell them? <laughs> oh man, that is on the spot. Yeah. Man, I, I don't know if I could unload everything that I've learned in eight years of marriage into like a, a little soundbite for you. But um, honestly, you know, uh, what I have looking back on the eight years of marriage and the last uh, almost six years of being a dad. Yeah. Um, it's grace, man. It's, uh, it's grace. You know what, you know, that song, you know, that Matt Martin, your grace is enough. And, you know, yeah. the Apostle Paul, he writes and, 
uh, in his epistle, you know, your grace is sufficient, Lord. I mean, that's like an anthem for our family. It's, it's nice. great, you know. And nice. um, I think it's funny because we, when we had our first child, it really rocked our world. Yeah. And, you know, it was everything was just flipped upside down. It's, oh, my goodness, you know, we have to, like, re-figure out how to do everything again. And, and then we had our second child, and it was like, oh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> we, were, we were anticipating, like, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be like the same thing, except now it's double as bad, you know. And, and then we realized <laughs> that we were really, really uptight parents Yeah. Uh, with our first child. And then the second child comes along, and, you know, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, we know how to do this. Like, yeah, yeah. it's no problem. And then the third child comes along, and it's like, you know, well, whatever. You know, we'll just let them crawl around in the dirt. And the fourth child comes along, and then it's just like, oh, where is that one? Again? Yeah, whatever. Four, right? yeah, One, two, I know. three, yeah, they're somewhere in the backyard. And, and the... so it's uh, not literally, but it's, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, God really will stretch you and 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 grow you if you allow him and uh and that's been kind of neat to see and witness over the last few years that's that's actually very good advice to say that god's grace is is what supports us in everything but it's certainly in marriage and family um it's four daughters that you have too right (laughs) yeah four girls (laughs) so what's that what's that like Man, it is awesome. I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, quite honestly, man, if, if God blesses us with uh, a little boy, I have no idea what I'd do with him because right. I'm the dad that's like, you know, we're painting fingernails and we're playing princess tea party and dress oh, up. And, no. you know, oh, yeah. It's like, it's hardcore and it's girly and it's pink and purple everywhere. And it's, it's awesome. So, all, yeah, frozen all the way. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, your wife also, she was not Catholic originally. Was she Catholic when you were married? Nope. Uh, she came from the Baptist tradition, uh-huh. and about a year into our marriage, um, she kind of came to me. And she, I mean, she had attended uh, the Catholic Church with me for years, yeah. you know, even while we were dating, and she would come every Sunday with me. Right. Um, but she wasn't. She hadn't gone through RCAA. It hadn't been initiated yet. And about a year after we got married, she said, "You know, I think I'd really like to become Catholic." Really? And and I was like, "Great!" And I was ready to have like all these theological conversations with her. And like, okay, well, let's you know, let's talk about this. And she was like, "No, I I think I'm ready. Like, I don't have any problems with anything. And um, you know, it just all makes sense. Like, hmm. if if this is the church that Christ founded, and you know, I want to I want to be faithful to that. And so I was like, awesome. Huh. And then, you know, at Easter, she was brought into the church, and it was just great. And now she's just a fantastic um, Catholic yeah, mom. And, pro- yeah, and, probably uh, better than most Catholics. Um, before she was, before she told you that she was interested in, in, in joining or being uh, admitted into the Catholic Church, hmm. and you were considering marriage, were you, did you have any kind of hesitation about that, about marrying someone who wasn't Catholic? Um, you know what, I... I didn't really. I, I was in the, kind uh-huh. of in the back of my mind. Uh, it was placed there, probably ingrained <laughs> from my parents. Um, yeah. But I, honestly, I wasn't into my faith enough to care. Okay. Um, you know, and and it was it's interesting because I think it's it was my wife Katie that really um, really brought me back to yeah. uh, our fervent faith in God, and she was the one that challenged me. You know, when she was still a Baptist and still saying like, right. well, why do you, why do you do this? And you know, why do you have to confess your sins to a priest? And where's purgatory in the Bible? She would ask me these questions that I would have no idea. <laughs> Good. And, yeah. And, and that, I think her um, and I kind of going on that journey together and we went through our CIA together. And um, I think doing that together as a couple was awesome for us. 
because we get to we get to share uh, something really incredible together as a as a married couple now. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm also I'm married to a non-Catholic as well, and uh, and I think and I think this is a good segue to talk about the album because I think it also it, it's almost that God has given you, Chris, this opportunity to be a bridge between in the music world, and I and I've told you this before, so and I think you agree between the mm-hmm. Catholic music world and the non-Catholic, the Christian music scene, and you have mm-hmm. an album now that it's, it's full of praise songs, praise and worship. Some most of them are are not written by you or by Catholics, but they're songs that we all listen to on, in Christian Christian stations. And I think that you're uh, was that when you set out to do this particular album to create that worship experience for your listeners, were you thinking about who wrote the songs and how important it was to have songs that were accessible in that sense? Yeah, I mean, in kind of in as a, just a, that's a sort of fundamental of my ministry is I feel really blessed to have that opportunity yeah. to to be able to cross camps that way. And, you know, I grew up in the Catholic world and that's home for me and it always will be, but um, to have the opportunity to witness my faith, my Catholic faith um, in these different non-Catholic communities is yeah. really cool. And um, I, I get to share my perspective, which which might be a witness and illuminate some things for them. Mm-hmm. But I also, in turn, I learned some things as well. Yes. And um, it's really been awesome. You know, the last almost three years I've been in full-time ministry, mm-hmm. um, traveling around to different churches and that sort of thing. It's It's been really cool to see how God is working in different communities and how people have very different expressions of worship, yeah. even inside the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, there's so many different expressions. Some people are you know more charismatic and they want to raise their hands and get passionate and excited. Some people are really... Uh, reverent and just love and appreciate the, the peacefulness of, of of just being in a quiet, empty church and praying, or mm-hmm. or the d- different, various different devotions that we have, and and I mean the list goes on and on, and it's yeah. really been cool to experience that and to witness that, and I feel like this album, the goal is I, I really wanted to create something that people could use as a worship tool to, mm-hmm. um, to allow them to enter into worship with God. And so whether that's, you know, driving to work in the morning and yeah. putting the CD on, or if you're on an airplane with an iPod or whatever uh-huh. it is, um, just having something that's accessible and to feel like I am part of a church that's all worshiping God together and, right. and uh, to feel like you're actually there in the room with us. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's how it came about, the praises of His people. Right. That's exactly what it is. Uh, about a year ago when you were last on this program, and, and you were already working on the album, but I, we didn't get a lot of details, did, did you know that it was going to be a live album, or was that something that kind of evolved? How did you decide whether to do go into the recording studio or actually do it as a concert? Yeah, well, this has been something I've been... Uh, I've been wanting to do for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned at the beginning there, I have, this is sort of my second worship album. My very first album that I did, I called the worship album. The worship because, album, yeah. Because I, you know, I had done some stuff in the secular music world and I really wanted it, people, it to be clear to people that, no, this is, this is worship. This mm-hmm. is a Christian album and this is for God and um, sort of consecrated, set apart, that sort of thing. And yeah. um, this, I knew right away that um, there's something special that happens when you get a bunch of people in a room and you worship God together. Yeah. And I wanted to capture that experience so that um, even though you, maybe you can't come to a, a night of worship or you can't be at this conference or retreat or whatever it is, yeah. that you can still, it's still accessible to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when, no matter what time of day it is, you just, you know, this is a, a tool and a resource for people. And so, yeah, when I, when I started planning this about a year ago, um, I, I I had a very clear vision. You know, I want these songs to be songs that people know and love, mm-hmm. um, and I want it to be authentic and live, and and uh, and that's that's what we got. You did, really uh, cool. abs- yeah, absolutely. It is all that. So every time I speak to you, you're work already working on something else. So what's what's new? What's coming down the pipes? 
<laughs> What's <laughs> you know next? What? It's funny. Um, <laughs> God has, he's uh, not only as, as a husband and a father, you know, stretching me and um, allowing me to grow. I feel like as a songwriter, he's taking me different places too. And, and uh, I don't know what it is, man, but like, I've just been writing a lot of different kind of um different types of songs mm-hmm. uh you know some of it is borderline like country really? <laughs> some of it is, you know songs stories and experiences and um because you know up until about a year ago i was writing almost exclusively praise and worship style music yes um yes. and and now this this past year god's been stirring different stuff in me i think as a, as a father too i have this one song that i wrote and i've been um, sharing it from the stage uh, for the past few months. It's called the Molly Song, and I wrote uh-huh. it. Um, I wrote it for my six-year-old who, yeah, yeah last year uh, went to school for the first year, and and uh, she came home. She said she was going to get married to a boy she met on the bus, <laughs> and and so that inspired you know that inspired me to write this song, and I share it from the stage, and it talks about you know that's the great. type of love that we're we are to aspire to to is the divine love, and and that sort of thing, and so it's it's just really cool. Um, to see uh, what God has kind of placed in my heart. And I'm really excited. Uh, I know that this record just came out, but I'm really excited to see what God has, you know, for a year from now when uh, when the next one comes out too. Yeah, good. So am I. I'm looking forward to the, the Chris Bray country album. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hey, don't quote me on that. I don't know. I'm willing to follow God wherever he leads. We'll if it's see. In the country music, sure. But uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> anyway, Chris, it's been good to, to talk to you. Great, great uh, uh, listening to your music and having this album. And I, 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 uh, I know our listeners will appreciate it as well. So thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you so much. You can learn more about Chris Bray at his website, chrisbraymusic.com. That's also where you can book him for your for your event. Here now is Chris Bray with uh, a song by Hillsong called Go. And this is from his new live worship album, The Praises of His People.
We're listening to Chris Bray with Go by Hillsong from his new live worship album, The Praises of His People. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you miss part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where we post all the links to our artists and guests. You can also listen to the Salt and Light Hour as well as watch many Salt and Light TV programs now on Roku. To find out how to get Salt and Light on your Roku, just go to saltandlighttv.org slash Roku. And a special thanks to the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University for co-sponsoring this program. You can find out about Loyola University's graduate programs that combine Loyola's Jesuit values with the skills to use all digital platforms for evangelization at their website, luc.edu slash ips. And remember to like us at Facebook and stay tuned on what's going on with this program and behind the scenes by following me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, or on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for listening. May you continue having a blessed Lent. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.